Hello there, and welcome to Sling Talks. Today, I'm joined by the founders of LingoPal, the enterprise platform for translating live video and audio in real time. Devin Ori is LingoPal's CEO. Before starting the company, Devin was product manager at Microsoft and StubHub. We also have Casey Schneider, LingoPal's CTO. Before this, he was a software engineer at Tesla and StubHub. Casey and Devin met at StubHub and started the company because of an opportunity they saw in the market. I know the two of them through Z Fellows, a community for early stage founders. Casey and Devin have a great story, and I wanted to learn more about AI and translation. So in this episode, we're going to talk a bunch about their product, about translation, and about building a vertical AI app today for enterprise. Today, we're just talking through like AI and translation. I mean, I'm AI, so you guys know about AI and translation a little bit? Yeah, a little bit. Do you want me to say a little well, just, about Lingopal? I kind of just want to start by asking, why is translation hard? It sounds like a hard question, Devin. Do you want to answer that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I think I think translation is just extremely difficult. Uh, there are many tiers to it. You have the typical Google Translate that's been in existence for the last 10, 15 years. Uh, and you don't have the industry standard, let's translate vocabulary for medical or legal or speech to speech accurately. Uh, and it's created a lot of holes in the market. So, you know, you have companies like DeepL taking advantage of that. They are the industry standard for, they're doing what Google Translate has done for years, raise a billion dollar valuations 2022 at October, doing exactly what Google Translate doing, but they're capitalizing on those holes that Google Translate has left. So there are many answers. So wait, what are the, what are the holes that Google Translate's bad at? They just can't handle like industry vocabulary. They don't handle conversations. People don't speak like a dictionary. And that's if you put in dictionary sentences or standard sentences into Google Translate, that's you'll get good accuracies. But that's just not how humans speak. So if I remember the story goes that Google Translate once upon a time was like a giant code base of like millions of lines of complex if-else statements and rules and stuff like that. And then they kind of like threw the whole thing away and switched to deep learning. Is it possible that Google Translate will just switch again and be barred? And if so, like, does that just solve all problems? It's it's really tough for just one translator to, to solve all of the problems. Most companies have their own in-house problems, whether it's uh, data compliance, whether it's medical compliance. If Google Translate were to get something wrong, someone could get a wrong surgery. Until the day where a real translator and Google Translate can intersect, that's when it'll actually solve the needs of many people. But it doesn't seem like Google Translate wants to go down that route. So you're saying like today, human translators have enough of an accuracy boost over Google Translate that there are still a lot of use cases where you would need a human in the loop? Yeah, yeah. Until, uh, and, and that's where we're trying to pioneer. You know? Really? That's, you guys are doing human in the loop? Technically, that's why our AI is going to be, if not better. You know, that's where we're building in-house. So Tell me a bit about what you're building in-house. Well, we don't want a human in the loop. We don't want humans, but like... I guess you could think of our AI as the human. Basically, what we're trying to do is is collect all those glossaries of medical language terminology, even conversations between medical professionals, train on those things so we can get it tailored for that industry. And we would do the same thing for other industries, like not just medical, but sports, uh, casinos, schools, all those things. So we could have different models for each one. Whereas if you have a solution like your Google app, wouldn't have even the space in your phone to have the models for every single industry right it's more of a general purpose so for more like enterprise vertical use cases instead of having one model to rule them all you guys would bet that at least for a while you're going to need like specific models that know that you're in the medical domain and so they can translate medical words in the right medical way 
I guess I'm curious, like, why? Like, I'm just trying to, like, put the picture together yeah. in my head. Why can't you just, whatever the medical, like, glossary is, however big it is, couldn't you just combine it with legal glossary and then combine it with the sports glossary and then put it all together? Or, like, is there anything special about knowing that the model I'm using right now is a medical model? Will it, like, actually translate the same text differently if I say it's medical versus business or whatever? I mean, you could try to, and with, you know, like, infinite parameters, maybe you could accomplish it. But say you try to and you're getting... 95%, but then you separate them out and you're getting 99%. Is there stuff that, like, in a medical domain, just curious, like, do these domains intersect? Like, if you're in a medical domain, you're doing translation, are you generally dealing with medical language exclusively? Or is there any, like, legitimacy to crossing over these domains? Like, do you get any troubles if the domains intersect? Someone's talking about sports while talking to their doctor. Yeah, yeah, that's true. Yeah, you could, you could have some crossover. So I guess you kind of have to pick your priorities to some extent. You know, shooting for 99.9%, maybe it's unrealistic to get to 100. But if an industry says this is really important to us, then we can tell them, okay, we've got you completely covered on that. So it's pretty clear that translation's not yet commodity, given that like companies can charge money still for translation. Do you think that translation will soon be solved and that like translation models will soon become commodity? So that's a good question. So will translation models become a commodity? Uh, basically saying that will there be, will it be like, 100 models and you can just pick one and any one will work. And yeah, basically. The differentiator would be what? The price? Or something else. I don't know. Or something else. Are yeah, the I mean, differentiators? That's, that's, that's possible. And with the rate that which things are moving right now, like we have to think about that. You know, maybe in two years, whatever we build today will be commonplace. And so when we do that, we, we think about how do we protect ourselves from that happening? Like, how are we going to differentiate ourselves now? Like thinking if the future was right now, what would we do? And we'd focus on our products, right? Build out. If you have a translator, that's not in itself useful. You have to be able to use it and apply it to different situations. So we're building a product around going to classrooms and helping them speak to each other using a translator, you know, ingesting a broadcast from an NBA game, translating it. So we're building a product around the core functionality. Okay, so it's not just like the model. It's also just like the specific workflows that you'd want to automate. In terms, I'm curious, dumb question, but do people still hire translators and interpreters? Is that still yeah, a thing? Huge. Yeah. yeah really? That's, that's the industry standard right now. Today, in 2024. Yeah. Yeah. It's a big thing. And and that's, you know, why we're trying to adjust the market. It shouldn't be an industry standard. So if I, like, where would I hire a translator today? Like, is that, if I'm working at the UN, someone will sit next to me that actually translates things for me? You'll put on a headset and they'll connect to you to someone who's listening in that language and speak into the to the mic. Still? Yeah. Okay, when are we going to eliminate that, do you guys think? Well, and the people at the UN, I don't know what the demographic is there. I don't know if they're early adopters or not. <laughs> um, I mean, at some point, yeah. there must be the competitive advantage where you come in and say, we can translate in real time even more so than a human or, you know, more accurately, more clearly, we can maintain... If I understand your product, you actually mm -hmm. try to maintain people's like voice, right? That's right. Yeah, we, we clone their voice. So um, that'd be huge in diplomacy, you wouldn't would it? I think so, right? Yeah, from that perspective, like if somebody's angry saying something, that will come across in a different language. Uh, I'm not very familiar with you and I don't watch the proceedings, <laughs> to be honest. Maybe I should, maybe not. But yeah, I mean, they certainly could use us. So maybe we should talk to them. Yeah, I mean, I guess I'm curious. Like you're in a space where, you know, there's one side of like, you know, technology being competitive, like who's the best at translation. But then seemingly there's still a side of like the tech still isn't good enough, even at the top, that we can just remove humans, at least in sensitive use cases, or at least people are scared to adopt. 
I feel like there's some separation between if people are scared to adopt, then it's more like build a product that gets people to yeah. adopt it. And if it's just the product isn't good, the models aren't good enough, then you have to be a machine learning company, double down and actually build good enough models and that will buy people in. Do you think one or the other narrative is like closer to how you guys think about it? I wouldn't be surprised if our translation is oftentimes more accurate than a human translating. I mean, things can be lost in translation, but you know we're very accurate. We take metrics on it. Uh, so I wouldn't be surprised if we're more accurate than a human translator, but I think there's also an issue of trust. What are your metrics? Our metrics, well, we, so there's something called the blue score. It's B-L-E-U. And it measures how accurate the translation is. And we get, I think we get a 54. And it basically is like human level translation. So blue score, if I understand, is just like compared to a gold standard translation, how many words are the same essentially between your AI translation and your, you know, human gold standard translation, right? right. Kind of. It, it measures the, the, the accuracy of which uh, comparable software might translate up. So it might compare us to a Google Translate or a Bing Translate or an AI translator that exists on the market. Okay. If you're too low, it puts you as it knows your computer translated. If you're too high, you're far off from a human. So it's between human and computer. And the soft spot is falling within that 30 to 50 range. So is it not relative to ground truth? Uh, relative to, I guess, software that currently exists on the market. It's just a way for us to know like how close it is to human accuracy. I guess I'm just asking, like, is there a point where we change metrics to accuracy? Like where we just say, you know, like there's some point where we want translators to be 100% accurate. We don't want to be 99%. We don't want, you know, there will be that point, presumably, where, you know, and at that point, we're also going to say there are many ways to translate this text. These three are 100% correct. Those two are not correct, you know? Yeah, it's, yeah, no, no, I see what you're saying. It's always a bit subjective. There, there are usually four or five different ways an idiom could be translated yeah. in, in a language, a phrase, uh, a local slang term. That doesn't sound subjective to me. That sounds pretty objective. Well, I think if you consider like an analogy to driving, like autonomous cars, Yeah, I think a lot of people have said that self-driving cars would be more safe than humans driving cars. Yeah, and as soon as they are, I think they'll be ubiquitous. Yeah, but then when a, when an auto-driven Tesla gets an accident, you know, it's all of the headlines. So people get a bad impression, like as if it happens all the time. So there's a trust issue with with autonomous driving. I think there'd be the similar trust issue with with really any AI that you're relying on. Or you could say there's an accuracy issue with self-driving cars, right? Like Teslas take mm-hmm. like human drivers crash on average once every million miles, roughly humans mm-hmm. in America. And that's like insanely good. So competing with that is really, really hard. Arguably, human translators, I'm not super familiar, but I imagine they might be really, really good at choosing the right idiom. In my head, that just raises the bar for technology, right? But there still is that point that you cross where you concretely say, like, we don't make mistakes anymore, or we don't make mistakes that any reasonable human would. There's that point. But the, the point where you say, we don't make mistakes that any human would is different than 100%. I don't think hmm. 100% is is possible in, in most things. I mean, getting to 100% is like, um, it's like a non-reality for almost anything, right? Yeah, no, I guess I mean, there, there are going to be unintelligible phrases, right? There are mm-hmm. going to be phrases that straight up don't translate, in which case, you know, you need some way of saying like, you know, the individual expressed an idiom, which is difficult to translate, but describes in its literal form, blah, 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 and roughly equates to blah, blah, blah. And that's incredibly hard. There are going to be those edge cases. But I feel like there still must be some way you like put those edge cases to the side. And then you're like, all right, you know what? I forgive you on weird idioms. And I forgive you on unintelligible phrases. But for the rest of it, I want 100% accuracy. You know, like, is there, do you, I, I'm asking this basically because blue scores were originally introduced when translation models sucked. 
right? And so you were like, hey, look, it's not good. But, you know, like it translates idioms literally 100% of the time. But, you know, it's still useful. And blue stores kind of show you that you're on your way towards human accuracy. But at this point in the world where we're actually shifting towards like, it works, should we be shifting our mindset towards, you know, fully accurate models? I'm, I'm just asking it. Yeah, I mean, if we only rely on blue scores, that would be a mistake on our part. Of course, we also do qualitative testing. You know, we have our customers that use it, who, who use it for streaming 24 hours a day, and then they're streaming to hundreds of thousands of people in the audience. And so if there's any complaints, I am sure we'll hear about it. Um, and so far, it's been pretty good. I'm really curious. So you guys are enterprise software, right? Which, if I had to guess, that means expensive, as opposed to Google Translate, which you would view as like the consumer, like, it's nice, it's cool, but it's not enterprise grade. That's why we have these companies. Is there a reason why you can't be consumer grade as well? Like, is there actually a difference technologically that would make it impractical or not useful for an enterprise company? And I don't just mean you guys, but any enterprise company in this kind of category, is there any reason not to just open the API to anyone? We could serve an API. That's not our product, but we could. Like I mentioned before, for us, it's not just about the translation. We also believe in actually making a product around it. And that for us, product we have is the streaming, broadcasting from NFL games, NBA games, news stations. Okay, and streaming is going to be like way more complex when you have to integrate with these media providers under their terms, basically. And that's kind of where it becomes enterprise -y. It's not enough to just say, right. here's a box on our website. Anytime you have a video, go for it, upload. And they're like, yeah, that's not what we want, though. We want to be able to stream to our audience. Yeah, the whole supply chain, so to speak, is is expensive. Exactly. If you, if you kind of look at where all of the language models sit, uh, all of the companies that have built on top of language models, 99% of them, they're a commoditized product. They're all click a button, upload a video, you're translated. Now you have the companies like DeepL, and now you have a company like LingoPal building separate verticals. We're targeting streaming. They're targeting uh, super enhanced accuracies for medical, for law. So they are creating their own product, niche market, hard barrier to entry, and it's doing very well for them. And same for us. We've created a, a lot of barriers to entry in this spot, and that's why pretty much no one's trying to enter it. It's just very difficult to do. What makes it difficult? You kind of have to build five to six different companies in one. You know, accuracy comes down to, to many different things. How someone speaks, how loud someone talks, background audio, music. Uh, there are many components to accuracy that are very different than just typing in text. And since we're going speech to speech, we have to take into account all of the nuances beforehand, just before it even reaches the text. And you handle video too, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So what makes it hard basically is that if this were just one model, it's not that big a deal. But it's not, it's like a bunch of models. Exactly. And you have to orchestrate them all in a way that creates a product that like makes the bar basically. That makes a ton of sense. You guys do AI research. We do when we need to. Um, we don't set out as a research company. That's not our goal, really, to publish papers. But there are times where we survey what's available and we don't find what we need. And there's been a number of times that's happened where we need something to push our product to the next level and it's not there. So at that point, we start inventing, I guess. So you do research, but only insofar as the product pushes you to do it, basically. Yeah, exactly. Do you envision, like, at some point, having a substantial research arm? Or do you think that's something you guys want to avoid? Just curious. I think we'll find out if we want that as we go. You know, some of our efforts in that, like I said, you know, it's product driven right now. Sometimes it's been very successful. Most of the time, actually, it's been very successful. So if we keep seeing that at a certain point, you know, you might decide, hey, this works again and again and again. Let's just start up, stand up a shop and, and do this on the side. So I'm curious, you guys have been doing this for about a year, right? To get the right. The technology's changed like crazy in that time. 
like sure. virtually none of what you're doing was possible a year ago. How do you keep up with AI research? It's a good question. I mean, like you said, it changes all the time. And we do keep up with it. We're using stuff that came out in the last three weeks. And we are, we're already putting it into our product and giving it to customers. So it's really advantageous for us to move on this stuff very quickly. It's hard to keep up with because there's so much of it going on. What we've enjoyed doing is actually going on LinkedIn or through connections, through friends, networking, finding people who are experts and having conversations with them. We find that a lot of times, you know, they'll have great ideas, advice, anything that's valuable. Like we talked to somebody from NVIDIA uh, before the break, talked to him for 30 minutes, and I felt like he gave us a week's worth of knowledge. It was crazy. So we really like doing stuff like that. So at this point, it's like uh, you need to be within networks, basically, to keep track of what's going on because there's just too much being published to synthesize it all yourself without having... I don't know if you need to be in, within networks. I mean, there's, you know, the same people might be posting it online somewhere, but for us and the amount of time that we have, mm-hmm. we don't have time to scour, you know, Hacker News and find every latest thing. If we can have a good conversation with somebody and they can tell mm-hmm. us everything they've learned in the last week in 30 minutes, that's great. Do you envision hiring people with that exact goal, basically? <laughs> like, your job is to scour Hacker News and let me know what's new? That's a good question. I mean, there's some advantage to having the diversity of thought when you're talking to different people. You might lose that when you hire one person. That would be my concern. What's it like trying to keep up with the state of the art while it moves quickly? You mentioned you have like tech from three weeks ago. You know, what's easy? What's hard about trying to keep up while you watch whatever tech you just, you know, whatever translation model you just integrate or whatever, you know, transcription model, you know, that becomes outdated the minute that you started using it? <laughs> I don't feel like we're trying to keep up with it. Like we're not competing with it. We're really trying to use it. When something new comes out, we're not scared or threatened. We're usually excited because that means we get to use it. You know, it all goes back to us. Like we we're, we have a product. You know, we have a very good product. If somebody comes out with a great translation tool tomorrow, we don't care. We'll use it for our product. And, and that's what people like is the product. So keeping up with it is has never been an issue with us. So just a question. I know we're talking about translation, but there's kind of no way to avoid language models here, right? Like translation models are language models, right? By which I mean, like you need to predict what someone's going to say next in order to translate what they've said so far, right? Like that, like if you're just doing streaming translation and you need to figure out the connotation of a word, the only way to do that efficiently is to predict the rest of their sentence. It's true. So that means you are presumably in your tech stack using language models, I have to imagine, right? Like Whisper is a language model. Yeah, right. we're not using Whisper, but we are using, using language models. Some, so do you rely on open source tech? Some of it, yeah. I mean, we definitely use some open source tech. Um, I mean, we have a lot going on in our backend uh, across a couple different products. So there's absolutely open source going on. A lot of times the latest thing is open source. So if, you know, the state of the art, like you've been mentioning, a lot of times it, it is open source. And so... So if language... What I'm really wondering is if language models take a ton of data to train and a ton of compute. Yeah. And today, we all benefit from the fact that there's lots of open source language models. Mm-hmm. What would happen if open source language models stopped being produced? Like Meta just created their next big language model and didn't open source it. I'd be sad. <laughs> yeah. I think we'd all be sad. I don't think it'll happen because I think they love flexing on each other too much to do that. But Who's they here? Uh, Meta, Google, Microsoft. Apple. But Google and Microsoft don't open source anymore, right? Yeah, but they all have come out with their own like LLMs and do. They, oh, do they not? They don't open source. No, Google, Google, Microsoft, OpenAI, Apple, none of them open source anymore. Meaning, in terms of their language models, Meta is the only one. Well, so that's why I wonder, like, if Meta just stopped. I mean, Saudi Arabia does now. They're a big player. 
But uh, mm-hmm. I don't know if you want to rely on Saudi Arabia or Meta for that matter. Well, they probably have great Arabic translations. So. They might. <laughs> I don't actually know. The Falcon models have heard of them. Like, no idea if they're good at Arabic translation, but they might be. But I guess on the flip side there, like we live in a world where we're lucky that there's huge open source language models. And we could easily be living in a world that didn't have those, right? Yeah, I mean, you paint a scary picture of it. But if, if that happens, then still, we're not worried. I mean, we're, we're so, product is honestly so good right now. And there's also ML engineers out there. So as long as they exist, so are the models. I feel like, sorry to push on this, it just feels like there's this tense thing and it's not you guys. It's like any AI company in like a vertical space that like on one hand, you want to say, our models are so good. Like our tech is so good. But at the same time, you always want to say, you know, we haven't solved translation yet. Do you feel any like tension between the side of like, if we solve translation and we stop all research, you guys are good because you've solved everything. On the other hand, if we haven't solved it, then like the only way that you guys can have a product a year from now is to continue to improve and for your product a year from now to be better than today, right? I don't know. How do you think about that tension? Um, or am I hallucinating? Well, no, I'm just trying to fully grasp the question. I mean, we have a product now with the translation of where it's at. Currently, where, where the product is right now, you know, it's good for the industry. For our B2B market in 2024, all, most customers, 99% of them, they're content. Two years from now, as technology continues to improve, we need to update with it. You know, we have to lower our latencies. Our voice cloning has to be on the spot. Our diarization, being able to handle people in a room all at once, it just has to update with, with where the industry is going. So the product around it and the infrastructure we have in the back end all feeds together to really make this successful. So it's basically like the product has to meet user expectations. Exactly. And currently user expectations can't be above whatever state of the art. So there's no need for you guys to be past the state of the art. Exactly. Right. But a year from now, if the state of the art moves and people are like, what? You have one second latency. I expect half a second latency. Ah, yes. Suddenly exactly. people are like, your thing is slow, even though you know earlier they're like, whoa, that's so fast. Yeah. And we're at that inflection point right now. Is there some absolute thing here though? Or like maybe there's some barrier we just passed where like you couldn't translate and now you can? Is that something you experience? Like in general, when you're selling, are you selling, you can translate for the first time or you can translate better than you have before? Yeah, usually it's, we're solving a few pain points. The first pain point is our onboarding experience is less than five minutes. Uh, That's typically our division for companies. They appreciate that from meeting all of these B2B clients. And then the second big pain point is they don't have to hire people anymore. They don't have to hire translators. It's not in-house employees anyway. It's typically contractors that they outsource. So it doesn't feed back to their bottom or top lines. Wait, when you say, so we're talking, what use case are you talking about here where they're hiring contractors? To do translations for events and stuff like that. So, you know, like these UN meetings or town halls at big companies, they hire a translator to sit there, do the transcription in real time and do the voiceovers in real time. Okay, got it. So if I'm watching a town hall listening, you know, transcribing and typing in another language, there's going to be some latency. Not only can we potentially cut down that latency and the mistakes, but we can also just get rid of that person. Yeah, just with one button click. I guess what I have to wonder if we're talking about like town halls, you know, just are you talking about like integrating with Zoom or like what is, what would that look like if I were yeah. hiring you? Yeah, that would, uh, you would, you would connect to your streaming provider. So, you know, you would typically... Is Zoom a streaming provider? It wouldn't fall as a streaming provider. Similar to how people stream on Twitch and stuff like that. Uh, so Wait, Twitch is or is not a streaming provider? There's a tool you can, there are many tools you can use to stream to Twitch. So one of those streaming platforms. Okay, got it. So if I'm using Twitch, I'm using some streaming provider. To go to Twitch, yeah. And then they can also connect to you guys. Yeah. So now that I'm kind of getting it, 
it sounds like if it's a five minute setup, at some point, you're probably going to want to like, is there a point where you'd want to be self-serve? Yeah, yeah. I mean, at this point, companies call us self-serve. Uh, you know, businesses come to us and say, this is this is super easy. Okay, because after a call, exactly. they just like go in, you're yeah, like, that. here's your account, and now they get to go. Yeah. So is the limiting factor what, like capacity? Like, do you just... It is capacity, yeah. Okay, so if you let everyone on the, in, on the internet go on and play with it, you're going to like, given that you guys are early stage, there's just no way you could handle that. But at some point, you will be able to, hopefully. At some point, yeah. And that's what Casey's trying to pioneer. How do we handle millions of people at the same time? Oh, that's fun. Do you worry about GPUs? <laughs> sure. Yeah. Yeah, of course. <laughs> I, I wonder what's going to happen with GPUs because it, there's been so many ups and downs with GPUs in the last five years. Like there was a huge up with cryptocurrency, and then it kind of went down, and then a huge up with AI, and it kind of went down. And now it's better. Well, it actually has stayed up. And now I think cryptocurrency is having another moment. So what are GPUs going to cost in the next year? Are they going to be available? I don't know. I'm sure they'll keep making them, but it seems like the demand is keeping up. Ooh, so it's like a short term, at least short term. Yeah, it's going to be hard. But I mean, it helps to not yet be self-serve then, right? That's true. <laughs> because you can still project your costs and you can say like, there's no way the cost of mm-hmm. GPUs stay aside. It's just absurd. Yeah, and if you have the money to reserve the instances, then, then you can. And... We can actually save a lot of money doing that too. So we've done that and that's been, Do you we use, haven't had any problems yet. You use one of the major clouds for yeah for the stuff. You all use GPUs pretty heavily too, I think, right? Yeah, we use, but we don't have anything, like we don't have much that's, um, for much of our GPU consumption, we're less concerned about some of the latency stuff. Makes sense. Yeah. I mean, I guess I was wondering about that. Like, do you separate between training and inference in terms of using GPUs? Like, or do you use the same GPUs for training and inference? Well, no, we don't use the same GPUs. And actually, AWS just came out with a new GPU that I need to do a little more research on that I think is specifically for inference. It's Inferentia, AWS Inferentia. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, maybe you can tell me more about that because I just (laughs) just found it this week and I was looking at the table of how much it costs and the specs and I was asking myself, there must be an error. Like, there must be something on. So yeah, um, it's like their line of inference optimized GPUs. Yeah, it's crazy. I think I was reading like almost 400 gigs of VRAM, almost 800 gigs of RAM. I think 192 cores for $12 an hour. Sounds pretty good. It's insane. For what? I'm curious how curious that. I think it was inf2.like32xl <laughs> or something. Well, anyway, this has been a lot of fun just to and off, curious to ask, we were talking about keeping up with ML. You mentioned, you know, chatting with people at NVIDIA, definitely a good piece of advice. But uh, in terms of things you read, are there any like newsletters you follow, any books you'd recommend, any podcasts you listen to? Well, I'd recommend following Daniel Kahn for any productivity tips and applications. <laughs> right before this, he showed me about uh, half a dozen different Mac apps that I need to download when I get home. So that's what I'm going to do. That's true. Arc Browser. Arc browser, yeah, I, re- <laughs> I was watching us writing down like Whiplash, Superhuman, and like all these different ones. Yeah, big fan. I think it's, uh, I think software is cheap. I think we should, you know, automate all work. So got to try new stuff. If you want a list of tools that, you know, sure. are fun to play with. Always try new things. So much cheaper to use tools than to hire people. I'm excited. It's like Christmas. Empower your people, empower your team. It really is. Oh my God, next Christmas, I want someone to give me like their 10 favorite tools. And- <laughs> Just tell me. <you>. Christmas. <laughs> Okay, I'll write that down. That'd be a hilarious Christmas present, but actually, that would be nice. If someone does just like one month, you know, cancel yeah. nine of them, but keep one, you know. Yeah. It's literally like a present. Like downloading it is no different than unwrapping a present. 
There's it's no more fun to me to download software. Than Dragging it in Finder from the little thing to your applications folder. Like Descript, if you saw, I think the delight of using software like Descript. I'm pumped. <laughs> what about you? Book-wise, I really like uh, The Crisis of Global Capitalism. It's a good one. It's a good read. George Soros, He's, uh, I think he's a good read. Reading about how he does arbitrage is always how I try to think about business opportunities. And the market of LLMs is always about how can you find the best model, find the best advantage over each model and kind of continue to improve. Awesome. Great answer. Thank you guys for joining us. Take care. Thank, Thank you. you. That's a wrap for today. Thanks so much for joining us. If you're an ML enthusiast, I'd love to hear from you. Feel free to reach out on LinkedIn or at hello at slingshot.xyz. We'll be back with more next week.